HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're kicking off our end-of-year fundraising drive with a special discount offer from our partner, Heritage Foods USA, an online farm-to-table butcher shop specializing in heritage breed antibiotic-free meats. Donate to Heritage Radio Network before Sunday, December 4th at heritageradionetwork.org donate, and we'll send you an exclusive discount code for 10% off all Heritage Foods products. Help ensure another year of great food radio, get 10% off delicious and sustainably produced meat, and support small family farms all in one shot. How's that for a holiday miracle? Head to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate by Sunday, December 4th to make your contribution. If your restaurant wants to put the best on the table, look for food with the New York State Certified Seal. It's food that is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes, and please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on social media at thefoodballer. This is episode number 55 of Feast Your Ears. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, It was last week, for those of you listening in the future, because this will be on the internet forever. I'm thankful for a lot of things, uh, including Heritage Radio. Uh, Every week I come in here and I get to do a show and I get to have awesome guests. And without Heritage Radio um, and members and supporters of the station, Feast Your Ears would not be possible. So please become a member today. You don't have to think about it. Just do it. I'm going to read some opening thoughts, which uh, those of you who are regular listeners know I started on my last episode, sort of a a short format essay um, that I'm going to sort of read at the top of the show, and I'll keep, keep working on that. Let me know if you like it. Let me know if you hate it. What is the truth? Is the world round or flat? Does it matter? I think this is where we get caught up uh, in these sorts of things because it doesn't really matter to everyday life whether the world is round or flat. Fake news is all around us. 
just yesterday, a guy followed me on Instagram, but I could have said he followed me down the street, which would be a lie, but he followed me on Instagram. And he's working to prove that aliens exist and that they are part of founding ancient cultures and that they built the pyramids. Can I prove that he's wrong? No. Do I believe in aliens? I think they're unlikely, but who knows? But it also doesn't really affect me on a day-to-day basis. We do know what is right in front of us. Uh, This beer is real. This ice cream is real. This apron is real. I think we're living in a time when the loudest person in the room is often the one we listen to by choice or by default. This tends to happen a lot with my three-year-old. And my guests today uh, are women who run great businesses and don't compromise on the quality of their product. Uh, I have one in the studio with me. One is in traffic, but she'll be here later. And that, I can tell you, is fact, and that is true. Uh, so thank you very much for joining me today. Um, right now in the studio, I have Ellen Bennett of Headley & Bennett Handmade Chef Gear. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. Hi, thanks for having me. And we'll be joined, hopefully, in a few minutes by Jenny Britton-Bauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream. She's stuck in traffic, which is what happens when you come to New York in the rain. Oh, man, it is pouring cats and dogs out there. It's crazy. Um, so... Ellen, thank you so much for, for joining me. You're in town from L.A., yeah. where you're from and where I you're I loved based. your essay, by the way. I have oh. just, just have to tell you. That was awesome. Thank you. Good job. Um, it's, it's definitely it's hard because it's hard to read something I've written because my spoken voice is different than my written voice. Totally so understand. Different, different, different kind of thing. I actually write how I speak, which is sort of weird. Like People read my Instagram comments, and they're like, I can hear your voice on your Instagram post. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and what is your Instagram if people want to follow you? It's Ellen the Apron Lady. And then our company's account is Headley and Bennett with two T's. So Headley and Bennett is like all the adventures, all the apron adventures, as I call them, of the company. And then Ellen the Apron Lady is myself, my own personal adventures, which are very intermingled with Headley and Bennett's adventures. Sure. And our pet pig, Oliver, who is our company mascot, who I thought was going to live at our apron factory, but refused. Oh. And now he lives at my house. <laughs> well, so um, you are the second guest in, in a couple of weeks that I've had that has a pot-bellied pig for Amazing. a pet. Uh, a few episodes ago, uh, Joe Frankina who owns Crest Hardware, we were, mm-hmm. was on the show. We were talking about his pet pig, Franklin, oh, so awesome. who is a fixture at the hardware store. So I assume, does Oliver come to the factory with you? He comes, but now he's like 95 you know, pounds, yeah. kind of getting hefty. A little yeah. difficult to get in and out of the vehicle. Right. So it's far and few, but when he comes, everyone's really excited about it. And he is a bit of a maniac. As and, we all are, and so pretty, it fits right in. <laughs> he's pretty awesome. I mean, if you, I, I looked through the Instagram feed and I yeah. follow you, and so yeah. it's really fun. I mean, I, I think the idea of people having these sort of, I guess, alternative pets is the wrong word for it, but like pigs are awesome pets and they're super smart. Pigs are awesome, and yeah. we also have six chickens, so it's kind of like I have my own little farm in the gut of LA, which I love because I've always wanted to live on a farm, so I get the boasts of both worlds. And they get along, the chickens. Oh and yeah, them. they're totally friends. They hang out on the deck together. They That's just, awesome. Sometimes they, they lay in the sun, the de- the chicken and the pig. Nice. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so do you have lots of fresh eggs all the time then? Yeah, we do. We do. It's really cool. And yeah, at the office we compost and we're, we're very like Portland-y in the heart of LA, I suppose. <laughs> like I should just move to Portland. No, I, I mean, I feel like LA could use that sometimes, yeah, right? I mean, you've got totally all the freeways important. and the traffic and yep. the smog. So exactly, kind of needs a little bit of that. Tell me a little bit about um, Headley and Bennett. I mean, obviously, you know, I think... There's, I'm hoping that people who are listening know of the company. I mean, you guys make aprons are what you're most known for and started out as a company to make 
better aprons that were more functional and better looking um, initially for chefs in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. But you've since sort of moved, I think, a lot into homes as well with the same great product. Totally. Yeah, it definitely, it started as I was a cook at a two Michelin star restaurant with the worst uniforms. And I could see a huge disconnect with people's morale and how they felt as as an actual employee and with the food that we were making. And I thought, how are we making the most beautiful food yet we all look and feel really terrible about ourselves? And, you know, there's like a lot of like depression in the kitchen. There's all these things that nobody really thought about. Um, And I loved connecting the two and being like, wait, hold on a second. These people are real human beings. Like, what if we had an amazing uniform that made them look and feel awesome and special and badass? Whether you're the line cook or the chef of the restaurant, you can look and feel the part. And so that was the entire premise. And I myself was a $10 an hour line cook. And so it was very much for myself as it was for my team. Right. Um, and so it evolved from there. And to this day, it's still very community driven and very, very focused on like, how do we make people look and feel better so that they can do better in life and like get on the soapbox of life and say, I'm going to do something and not be afraid because they're like being held back by themselves. Like that's the last thing you need to be held back by is by you. Right. Right. So that was, that was the premise of all of it. And it just sort of evolved every order, every single chef, every single person I talked to was like, okay, what do you need in an apron? And what, what's wrong with your chef coat? And how can I make you feel better about this? And it was just like an evolution a focus group in the flesh every day sure um and now we do chef coats and we're working on chef pants for next year and jumpsuits and we just launched our knife bag um and every time we launch a new product we basically tear the crap apart of whatever existed and make it a million times better and meet with people and talk to them and reassemble it and assemble it again and be like nope that's not good nope back to the drawing board it took us almost two and a half years to launch our chef coats like it's long time going into each into each product so we really care and all the products are hand stitched right? yeah I mean, every single one it takes it, it actually takes about 20 people to make a single apron from quality control to the sourcing to the person that checks it at the beginning to the end uh, we have different designers in house that like build technical packets that literally detail out every single part of the apron so that no detail is missed and people might say like wow you guys are crazy to be doing that level of customization for, for little orders or big orders but honestly Honestly, that's what we love because it's a collaboration every time you are bringing your ideas and the restaurant is bringing their ideas and together you make this like beautiful apron baby and it's awesome. So did you think when you first, so you first started making the aprons yourself, right? No, I actually don't know how to sew. I had the very clear idea of what I wanted and I found people to do it Uh for me. Cool. So use their hands and my ideas and together we did it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And you've grown quickly, right? I mean, you started out in a 400 square foot office and yes, that was only I started four out in my years house, ago, right? actually. Yeah. Yes, I started we, out in my house, as, as we all yeah, should. <laughs> exactly. I mean, all, all, you know, small entrepreneurial businesses kind of start out that way yeah. and then you grow. Yep. It starts with an idea and a decision that you're going to do something and then you take one step and then another and then you fall 20 times and get back up and, you know. Um, yeah, and it's totally a, you know, self-funded operation. I started with $300 and I was just like, okay, first order, take that, put the money back into the business and I kept all my day jobs so that I could afford 
forward to, sure. you know, do that. Um, and it's been really amazing. And I feel so incredibly grateful every single day for all of our staff that we have. And we have this big, glorious apron factory in L.A. now that has like a zip line and a slide and swings and tree houses. And it's just like Sounds very Willy Wonka. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> like Google apron yeah. land. Google. Yeah. I did. I did see uh, that you're working with SpaceX. Are you going to have aprons in space? Uh not yet, but that would be <laughs> the dream come true. Um, we do outfit their entire kitchen, so cool. they make about 3,000 meals a day. So all of their team wears our chef coats and our aprons. And they were one of our first big, giant accounts. And it was very exciting because I actually worked with the same designer that made their like zero-gravity spacesuit to design the aprons and he'd be like no that doesn't function i'm like yes it does in a kitchen i'm telling you this is what they need and he'd be like okay fine we can compromise this on the chest pocket like it's just so funny that you know where aprons will take you so i'm curious to know about manufacturing as a as a business right there's been a lot in the news lately yeah. about jobs and jobs leaving the country and jobs coming back to the country right. and sort of saving manufacturing jobs um you know for those of you listening today or in the future or whatever there just was a big story that donald trump has gotten carrier air conditioning to keep half the jobs that they were going to move out of the united states mm. here and everybody sees it as this giant win now in the grand scheme of things it's a thousand jobs I'm not sure what the pay rate is. I'm not sure what that really means. I'm not sure right. what Donald Trump gave them mm -hmm. to keep them here. I guess we're going to find out um, tomorrow. I think there's a press conference. Oh, wow. But as far as manufacturing goes, you know, that was a big issue this year. Yeah. And jobs are, are always a big issue, I think, in totally. the political schema. And for everybody, people need jobs. They need, you know, the economy needs jobs. So as someone who is in manufacturing, um, you know, what's it been like for you to grow, A, so fast? Mm -hmm. And B, it sounds like it's a lot of people. I mean, you said it takes yeah. 20 hands to make a single yeah. apron. So that's a, it's a large staff for a small product that doesn't have a huge price tag. It's not a Tesla right. that you're selling. Completely. Um, and, and I think that we do get pushback sometimes on our prices. Um, but when you really get down to it, it's like, it takes so much meticulous detail to get it right. It's like abalone in a restaurant. You're like, why the hell am I paying a hundred and whatever dollars for this thing? And it's because it took 13 hours to make it and they had to <laughs> yeah. fly it in from the middle of Timbuktu. And people don't actually understand everything that goes into yep. like really crazy, well done products sometimes. So that's one of the reasons we have tours at our factory so that people can understand and educate, you know, themselves on what manufacturing actually looks like mm -hmm. and how many people it takes. And we are a full circle business. So we do the shipping, we do the distribution, we do customer service, we do returns, exchange, and nothing is outsourced. Our marketing team is in-house and it's practically like we have a branding agency in-house because they develop the campaigns, they run online, they, they do everything and that takes a lot of people and resources so yeah. in a way it's like i have a bunch of mini manufacturing facilities within my company not just the manufacturing of the apron but the manufacturing of content the manufacturing of a of like an event a story all this stuff takes an assembly line practically yeah process you know to do that um so it's been a lot of like trial and error on how the hell do you set this up what goes first what goes last wait do we need a run of show where does that go you know all these things that i had no freaking idea what i was doing when i started headley invented but i've always been very much of the mindset that if you don't know how you figure it out and you learn and then you take the next step and that is how you evolve as a person as a business owner as a friend as a husband as a wife it's like that's how you grow um so i never 
say, I can't do it. I just say, okay, I will figure it out. I mean, that's, that's really inspiring. And I hope inspiring to other people who are interested in sort of having, you know, starting their own business. Um, you know, the idea that you're really trying to show people how much goes into each one also is really important. I mean, yeah. I think the sort of other side of that coin, when there is that pushback on price is to say, well, in fact, the apron should probably be more expensive. Yeah, right. Totally. We've gotten to a point in a scale where we can actually make them cheaper than they should be given the number of people that we're supporting. Yeah, exactly. And the, the exciting thing for me is as we grow bigger, I'm able to buy more fabric, more things, supply more jobs to more people. So I almost feel like committed to succeed not for myself but for all the people connected to Hedley sure. and Bennett because I'm like wow they're like they're standing on my ship yeah. and I'm leading this ship and we're out in the ocean and I got to help them and I got to make them go and so it's it's this exciting life challenge of just getting more and more people onto the ship because that's my impact to the world Oh, look, Jenny just got here. Jenny is here. Hooray! She made it. Jenny was stuck in some mega major traffic because it's pouring cats and dogs, if I didn't say that already. Hi! Welcome, lady. Hi. Grab a mic, throw on some earphones. Earphones, headphones, Headphones, earphones, whatever. (laughs) I like earphones. And there's some coffee there for you, Jenny. It's black. (laughs) Oh, gosh, that's amazing. It's so cool and rainy and all that outside. So, hi. Hi. Awesome. So Jenny Britton Bauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams just managed to make it here finally. Yeah, you made it. We I just, love coming. We were out talking here. about manufacturing and how many people so it takes to make something like our aprons or in your case your ice cream. Oh, girl, you want to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, girl, break it down. <laughs> no, it's really true, and that's what I think. That's what drives us so much about the, you know just to be so motivated every day for the company. I mean, um, and I don't think people realize. And also, we don't want to jam it down anybody's throat because it's the sort of nerdy part of the business. But it mm. literally can take hundreds of people to bring one ice cream to life. And when you start thinking about, like right now I'm working with growers for what we're going to grow this summer, and we start thinking about um, you know, 12 different items of produce that we'll bring in through the season, but not just you know flats of it, but like literally fields of produce. Right. So whether it's pumpkins right now, and you know we got to grow the small pumpkins because they take a little bit, like five days less. It's not that much less, but yeah. they're going to take less, and maybe 15 days less. Um, we've got strawberries, three different kinds of strawberries we grow to bring in the season. But like when we think about makers, growers, suppliers, producers. That we, that we bring in, and then the people that it takes to actually churn that stuff, roast it, puree yeah. it, do all that. It's like a giant freaking ecosystem. And then get it out to the world, because if you want to make really great ice cream, you got to be really good at moving ice cream. Yeah. And people don't realize, like, moving ice cream yeah. is something that's very, very hard. And we make ice cream sure. without stabilizers. It can't melt. Yeah. It's not going to sit in the middle. You know, so we have to... And dry we, ice. And, and we have to it? be the experts. And mm-hmm. so... I'm always like so totally nerding out at our logistics team, which is just like the most yeah. bu- biggest bunch of badasses. And anyway, but I yeah. I mean, I, with, I yeah. personally I love logistics. I find it super fascinating. But yeah. I feel like yeah, that's well, you're like, talking to two people that hidden, are obsessed. Yeah, I mean that I, you know that's kind of like the hidden. It's the hidden thing in so much yeah. that people don't realize. It's the inner how, gizzards of business. Sure, it's crazy. I mean, you know, I think about my kids. Right, my kid thinks that you just pull out your phone mm-hmm. and you order the thing and it comes tomorrow. Yeah, and that's it. It comes out of the phone to the doorstop tomorrow. And like, there's no comprehension about like, what does that really mean? Well, and so this year we were able, we we now have three different distribution centers across America, which I think is so cool. So so we can actually offer $13 flat rate shipping anywhere in the coastal United States. And that, you know, one of the things you have to do as a, as a business, you, you make this incredible product, your other your other job is to make it really easy for people to get it, right? Yep. Yeah. And if it's a $35 shipping rate, like you're going to, you're it, it's just not going to happen. Yep. Yeah. And then the other cool thing is we have a ship back program for our box. You flip the <coughs> flaps 
the other way and you put it back out on your porch and when they have room on the trucks and on the planes and whatever it, they bring it back to us and we recycle them we either reuse them or we have a place to oh, recycle nice. the styrofoam and so that also is a part so of that awesome. sort of plan or whatever so yeah good job girl that's good awesome job um we are gonna we're gonna take a short break even though jenny just got here and hear a word from our sponsor and when we come back i really want to hear about the tour the road yeah. trip you guys just went on done and done chefs and restaurants are proud of the food they put on the table. And serving produce that comes from local, environmentally responsible farms is a way to leave an even better taste in everyone's mouth. So when shopping for your ingredients, look for the New York State Grown and Certified Seal. It lets you know which food is grown right, right here in New York State, certifying the food that comes from local farms that meet a higher standard. You'll not only be serving local food, you'll be supporting local farmers. Learn more about the New York State Grown and Certified Program at certified.ny.gov. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen. And joining us just before the break, rushing in after being stuck in traffic in the rain. Uh, today on the show, I have Jenny Britton-Bauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream and Ellen Bennett of Headley & Bennett Handmade Chef Gear. So thank you both. I'm so glad finally we're all, we're all here because yeah. one of the topics I was really excited to talk about was you guys just went on tour Right. Yeah. I mean, that's how that's how I think of it. Right. I, that's I was how telling, we think of it. Too. Yeah, we awesome. think of it as. A- I mean, I, I was telling I was telling Ellen, Jenny, before you got here, um, that you know I sort of came out of a lot of the sort of late '80s, early '90s, like DIY music scene, mm-hmm. punk scene, mm-hmm. and so oh, me too, actually did a lot of like you know tour booking before there was the internet and things like that. And I've toured the country a couple of times in that sort of really like low down, dirty kind of way, sleeping on floors. And you probably stuff. spent a lot of time in Columbus, and maybe I actually did. I played time. a show, and I played a show in Columbus in 2002, there. and slept on somebody's floor. Yeah, um, <laughs> I had a great time. Actually, it was a really like so fun, mm-hmm. scrappy, cool. scrappy yeah. all the way. Columbus, uh, a punk rock city. For real. Yeah. No, totally. I'm, mm-hmm. God, I'm trying to remember the name of the band who hosted us. It was it was three or four female musicians, and they had a name that was... Skrull? No. Okay. It was, they had a name. I mean, it, like, it either had fuck in it or it mean, had Probably. some kind of... You know, okay. It, like, it, <laughs> it, had, it had some profanity yeah, in the name, I think. Awesome. Gosh, I, my, my brother would remember. But... Um, <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> had a good time in Columbus, but so you know, and so I'm always into the idea of like going on tour. Mm-hmm. So I want to mm-hmm. hear about the Apron and that's exactly and ice how we tour. approached it too. We're like, hey, if a poet can go on a tour, I'm like a history reader. No poets, I don't know if poets still go on tours, but they did in the old days, and like that was entertainment. And then of course bands, um, and and even artists. And we thought, I mean, if those people can go on tour, like we can go on tour. Yeah. And Apron Lady and an ice cream, ice cream go lady and an Apron Lady yeah. hit the we're, road together. I would say that we're still working on our entertainment value, but but maybe we started <laughs> to get it. I mean, we're a little bit like. Lucy and Ethel when we or get out. Laverne and, and of course, we've got ice cream and aprons, and that in itself is yes. a conversation, and it brings people together. And um, we had a ball. I mean, yeah. people showed up, and like it was. It, it was, was very so much, much putting ourselves at like 
not like you could say out of our comfort zone where we were like all right we're gonna do this nine days five cities we're bringing a freaking rv and we're gonna do this and, and we, we were just it. like I mean, and we leaped out the window and we we're like here we go <laughs> and we didn't know what to expect and by the end of it i was just like oh my god i'm exhausted and so fulfilled all at the same time so how did it how i mean how did your friendship start obviously I can tell you guys have great energy together. You're obviously friends. Was it through aprons? Was it through ice cream? You know, it's the way that that we meet everyone. And Ellen and I do have like a like a weird chemist, you know, I mean, we have chemistry together that, you know, but this is, you know, this is why whenever you see somebody in a city that you, or in your own city that you admire, that you think is doing something cool or interesting or something that you relate to, you you have to get off your chair and go meet them. It isn't, you know, just walk in. I mean, I walked into Ellen's factory, um, Four like, years ago, yeah, and almost four years. Ago. Um, she gave me a, a sharpie marker, and then she showed up at our opening in LA, and we've just we just you know we just had chemistry. We hit it off, and we then started seeing each other around the country at various events sure. that people like us go to, and right. um, we're like, hey, you're doing this, and I'm doing this, and we're doing it independently, and if we get together. You know, maybe we know more people. We can introduce yep. each other. More, you know what I mean? And then it's like sparks fly or whatever. I think that, I mean, I think what you said in the beginning there about if you see someone doing something cool, whether it's in your hometown or whether it's when you're traveling, I do that all the time. Yeah. Whenever I'm traveling. It's anywhere, not enough to be online. It's not yeah, enough. Social no. is not 100%, 100%. enough. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I mean, walk in the door and just say hi. A person's face and yep. being like, hi, I'm real. And in fact, that was, a, that was really part of why we wanted to get out too, because we felt like, you know, friendships, you can, you can build this community online and in social worlds. So it's so great. You can find people who think like you and or, or, or who don't that you're just interested in um, but it's not validated I think until you get in person with them and so both of us have made it that our, our mission to do that anyway in our lives and so now we've kind of decided to do that together that was really what the tour is about one meeting more people but two getting out and meeting people that we knew online um, but just to to solidify friendships and then we ended up you know we we had set out to inspire a lot of younger entrepreneurs etc and I, I feel like I came back so incredibly inspired and just like firing my ass to go even harder at life and succeed even more because there's these people out in the middle of nowhere in some of the cities that we went to that are just hustling so hard and they have less opportunities than we do which means the opportunities that we have we have to take so much advantage of them because sure. we have them there it's not just like oh Oh, cool silver platter like i'm in la whatever that opportunity is not a big deal it's like no every single one is a big deal take advantage yeah and so. maybe i'm from columbus i have that voice too of really literally the middle of the country and yeah. this is the time the 21st century right now is the time for entrepreneurs everywhere to do what to, you know people to do what they want to do you, have to, you don't have to quit your job to do that you know but you can eventually make this sort of um, find this um, this place where your passion and needs of people intersect and, and make a career out of that or whatever. And I think we're here as examples of that. And we love that role. I mean, whether it's 12-year-old girls coming to our event or, or boys, of course, too, and um, or or third, you know, young women everywhere. And then there are people we look up to as well. Totally. Who we're trying to get the attention of. Right. Yeah. Like, hey, big <laughs> sister, like, come over here. Hi, what about uh-huh. us? Apron lady, yeah, ice so, cream lady. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, but it, it is important, I think, you know, that you are women and that you are heading these businesses that are yeah. growing. I think that's really important given the way things have gone and the hey, things it, are We have to be role models right now. Yeah, we have to. I think it's literally weeks ago, our we didn't duty. take that role seriously enough. Yeah. And I think, that, and then we were on tour back then, uh, or then before yeah. the election. And I, I just say, like, you know, I mean, I, I, right now, women have to take, we all do. Of course. We all have to be role models to everyone and, and, and role models to everyone, but also show the world that we're, and be conspicuous about the things that we're doing. Yeah. Um, Lead by I, example. Yeah. yeah. You know? 
and it's different. I do feel differently now. I feel like you have to be out there. Yeah. We have to show that we are doing it and, and that no matter what happens, like that's not going to go away and we're going to fight for that. Yeah, absolutely. So Jenny, I just have to say, I'm really jealous that you met Joe Biden. <laughs> oh, not only did I meet him, girl, I spent 45 minutes. Girl, with him, I, right? I was, I was so used to talking to Ellen. Boy. Um, <laughs> dude. I'll take it. However, dude, Sorry. I'm really proud of, um, of, spending 45 minutes with Joe. I mean, That's we were awesome. in like, we were, it wasn't supposed to be like that, but Sherrod Brown went on a little too long and like some things happened out there and we were in the, my little photography studio, which is like a Amazing. bathroom stall. Yeah. And Joe and I were in there and um, we got to talk about a lot of stuff, which was really cool. And he really, like, he's just, he really is, he was before and he still is, remains my favorite American. That's yeah, mm-hmm. totally. He's, I mean, I wish he'd run, but we can, you know, I agree. That I was there. I, I was know. with it too, but yeah. Um, but he is, he's a wonderful person and loves our ice cream. Well, he loves all ice cream. Yeah. He wouldn't turn down an ice cream cone from I'm, anybody. I'm sure anybody. he wouldn't. Who, who doesn't love ice cream? I, know. I mean, you know, and we were out. Where was I? Oh, I, we, we went to, I went to took my kids to, to Queens over the weekend. And, you know, and it was like 40 degrees out and there's an ice cream truck in the park. And my son is like, I want ice cream. I want ice cream. <laughs> kids don't feel cold. No, mm-hmm. they don't. It's really, it's, I wish that I didn't feel I know. Where, cold. When does that shift? I don't understand it. <laughs> It doesn't, really, it doesn't really make any sense. Um, so speaking of, of ice cream and making ice cream, um, Jenny, you've written a couple of books. One won a James Beard Award. Congratulations. Thanks. I mean, it was a while ago. But um, what's your number one tip for people making ice cream at home? Well, number one tip is follow my recipe. And I know that sounds really self-serving. No, but it makes but, sense. But, you know, and it's out there for free. You don't have to buy my book. And also you can go to the library and get it. But, but my t- because if you want to make my ice cream, my ice cream is all about body and texture. And that's the problem that I wanted to solve on Home Machines when I wrote that book. And that's the reason I got the James Beard Award. Um, my goal really wasn't to give you my recipes to make or my flavors to make, but the body and texture that we make. And then from there, you can make whatever flavor you want. And so, so giving you that tool, and it's very sturdy, and I have a couple of tricks. There's like a boiling trick that, that does all this cool stuff. It evaporates some of the wa- moisture in the water, which it waters your enemy in ice cream making. It brings the proteins together with the water. It brings the sugar together with the, and some of the fat. Anyway, you're, about, you're trying to hold water. Um, and that does a whole bunch for body and texture. And then what that doesn't do, we add a little tapioca starch and a little bit of cream cheese to give a little body. Yeah. And, um, and it is... And that's not our recipe at work, by the way, in my production. But we can we have homogenizers and bash and all these other things we can work with to do that, to build body in a different way. But the end result is the same. And so the end result is that this ice cream that you can scoop with a scoop straight from the freezer or within a couple seconds of giving, getting it out of tempering, um, roll it up into a ball and just lick it off of a cone on a hot day, just like you, you know, American scoop shop ice cream. Right. And most ice creams that I have had on home machines, I've been very disappointed with. You know, you have to yep. serve them very um, warm. Um, uh, I mean, of course, all ice cream is delicious. I'm not right. going to turn There's, that down. Of course down, it's still delicious. But, like, yeah. you know, but, but so, so if you want to make American scoop shop ice cream, start with my recipe. It works, and, it's, um, and then you can make whatever. You can make all my flavors. They're all in there, too. But you can also, you know, you go travel and bring honey back from the south of France or whatever. Make, use that to make your ice cream. So right. now you're telling the stories you want to tell, or you want to grow mint in your backyard, or use, you know, the peppers from your neighbor's backyard, hot peppers, or whatever you want to do. Then you begin to tell your stories. And then I always say, put your name on it. And it's, a lot of fun. It's a fun Remember, th- a there was idea. a guy that we met on our tour who actually came out to our farmer's market pop-up, and he was so in love with Jenny's ice cream, and he was like, oh my God, I'm going to go home and bring you guys the ice cream that I made from her recipe. And he went home, and this again was him altering what she had made and added his own flair. It persimmon. was a persimmon ice oh, cream. Nice. And he brought it to us. We took a photo with him with his ice cream in a Jenny's container. Like in the middle, what was that? Was that Atlanta? Atlanta. That was in Atlanta. So, and this actually happens on a fairly frequent basis for me. So I'll be in, a, I'll you know, 
announce that I'm going to be in one of our shops or whatever. And, you know, a 12-year-old boy will bring me his ice cream that he's been working on or so whatever. So cool. And for me to taste. And I just think it's so great. So and amazing. so it's really like, I mean, people are really... And then businesses have started. I mean, all over sure. the country there are countless businesses um, now that have started yeah. literally with the same look and the same flavors and then some of their own too. Sure. That I have. And it's, and it's like so much fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, actually, you're the second... Uh, ice cream company female owner that I've had on this show also in a couple of weeks. Oh my gosh. I had Laura O'Neill from Van Leeuwen ice cream on the show a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Amazing. So, I mean, I'm, I'm on this role. I, yeah. They got uh, all kinds of badass ladies in here. I do. Yes. I do. Well, there's a lot of them around, which is good. Right. Good, for uh, everybody. Yes. good, good role models for my daughter. That's <laughs> a lot mm-hmm, of that. Mm-hmm. I think. Absolutely. So before you, uh, when you were still stuck in traffic, Jenny, we were talking a little bit about manufacturing. Um, and since your business is food related, I want to talk a little about food safety because it's a huge, it's a huge issue in the country. I know you guys have had some, some issues with it that I think are behind you. It's one of my passions, food safety, but, um, but it's a, it's a big deal. And I just wanted to sort of hear from you about, you know, what the kind of, um, where you see food safety issues going in the country, because I, you know, I was just reading an article because it was before Thanksgiving about the, um, you know, the cutters and the turkey plants, right? And they see 11,000 birds an hour. Wow. Or no, 11,000 birds in a shift, I guess, go in front of them. It's 50 birds a minute or something. I mean, it's some, you know, mind-bogglingly large number. And so how can we manage to, like, how can we grow the food system? And you've obviously scaled up your own manufacturing, but continue to maintain food safety, you know? Well, the first step is to have 100% embrace that you have to be innovating in food safety the same way that you're innovating. And maybe innovating is not the right word, but the way that you're owning and controlling quality. It's a great point. And so if you're, you know, in the artisan field or whatever, you're using heritage recipes, you have to be thinking about, I'm going to attack my food safety um, the same way that I'm attacking the quality, the absolute, you know. Absolutely. Um, I, th- I think that may, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that that makes, it makes a great deal of sense. So you're going after making a better quality of ice cream. You also have to go after having a better, better food safety than what the government says is the bare minimum. Yeah. And, and I don't want that to be a dig on, at all on our inspectors or the government sure. because we have to own the food si- we as good food producers have to own what that looks like in the future. And if sure. we don't, it's too hard for our 6,000 inspectors to get everywhere and to know yeah. everything about You have to be the expert. You have yep. to be able to teach them and, and advocate for that. That is not an easy thing to do. Um, you know, Jenny's was, you know, we passed with flying colors every test that we ever had. And then we had listeria yeah. um, in one in one pint of ice Thankfully, it wasn't everywhere, you know, in every ice cream or whatever. And we and we did a really great job, stellar job of our of our recall and all of that. Um, but we learned that that isn't enough, that we actually have to be the one and only experts at the way that, if we want to make ice cream the way that nobody else makes ice cream, we got to do safety the way that nobody else in ice cream does safety. Right. Do you know what I mean? And we yep. really truly are because if you bring in a field of dirty pumpkins, even though we have a separate washing area for our pumpkins, it's not enough because that can go airborne. So now we are off site with the pumpkins, right? All of our produce goes sure. to an off site process, you know, washer and they, they get it ready for us. And then we, we, um, well, now we call it kill step. We used to call it, you know, a nice word, baking it or roasting it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we have kill steps everywhere. You know what I mean? Right. So we absolutely. Just, like kill that but, shit. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but understanding deeply what and when, like what that is so that you can back into it with your quality. Um, you know, we have an insane um, food safety team yep. now, world experts. And then we're also continuing to. To, be, to become the experts every time we want to do something new. It isn't easy, and I see ev- like everyone doing it wrong, of course, from my vantage point where I'm at. I just see it so much, and I, um, and I want to be an advocate for let's, 
let's own this food system. Let's keep good food um, growing and going. And I tell young kids right now all the time, high school kids, go into, um, you know, this field, go get your, um, you know, go into food safety because it's a growing, we need more people, more experts in this. And, you know, I wasn't a food safety expert. Nobody is. You want to be a cheesemaker. You're generally not coming from um, Ohio State University to become a a really great artisan cheesemaker or ice cream maker or charcuterie or anything that you're doing. And we shouldn't expect that. But we need people just like we need business people. We need people who are, you know, entrepreneurs need experts around them. And one of them is food safety. And there aren't enough people with that. Um, that experience right now. Yeah. And so go into that. That's an excellent career to go into because yeah. I think us entrepreneurs are going to keep going and we're going to keep coming up with great ideas. Yeah. And, and I think that a lot of the other work that we don't consider to be food safety work in terms of keeping down infections and things, um, you know, has to do with the, your practices of buying, you know, buying an entire field of something. Right. Right? Yeah. Nobody, I mean, I mean, nobody knew how to do that in ice cream because no, literally no one does it in ice cream yeah. or in many other things. I mean, people are buying buckets of already pureed strawberries or whatever. Right. And I'm not saying that that's the wrong way to go. It's not the way we want to do it. We build our company as a community. We want to work directly with growers. And so we have unique challenges when it comes to that. And so to think that others are doing it that way is, you know, it's, that is not how it is happening. And so if we want to do it this way with all of these different ingredients, including, you know, our, you know, not just bringing stuff in from the field, but our smaller producers who aren't up to the, they don't have the certifications, they don't have the things. So now we have to be, help them get there. We want to work with a small goat cheese maker and up by Cleveland. We've got to help them get to the standards that we need. And we are. Do you have any, uh, are there any flavors kind of in the Jenny's canon that have become harder to make as you've scaled up that you've had to sort of lose from the line that you wish you could still make or you're working on figuring out a way to continue to make? I mean, our goat cheese was really tough to bring back yeah. and we, we finally did it. Um, we worked on it for I mean, like a year. Um, every flavor has gone through um, a complete sort of renovation, but all of it um, ending up the same, you know, just, just in terms of how and where it goes. Um, many of them were it would, the whole process was extraordinarily complex and some of the flavors are harder but they're all back now um, we're still working on on blow torching our marshmallows mm-hmm. so you know we don't we don't touch the pints anymore we don't hand pack we don't use um, you know we, something like blow torching marshmallows and then what, that's a very complicated thing to do and that seems so easy if you're just you know if you're working in a restaurant as a pastry chef but right. it is not actually easy to do that in a safe way we'll have that um, we'll have it back this year but cool mm-hmm. great um, I wanted to ask you, Ellen, um, who's Headley? Headley was my English grandfather. So he was a rocket scientist for Boeing. And, so actually a rocket scientist. Like literally a rocket scientist, yes. Uh, he read Britannical Encyclopedias on his spare time at home. So he was a badass gentleman. And then Bennett, my last name. So the company, it's a mix of like dignified and a little bit crazy. A little bit of both. Old school Ooh. and new school. Um. Jenny, I wanted to touch on something that you said in the sort of pre-show questionnaire um, about your pet peeve related to food, um, which is one that I have too, which is about the sort of expectations of, you said motherhood, but I think even like parenthood. Yes. uh, Um, yes. In social media, if you are someone who's kind of like a leader and this sort of like false presentation, I feel like, that is like the expectation that's out there. Um, You know, how do you... As someone who is at the head, and you, I mean, you have a, a sort of a social media account that I think is very active. Um, you know, how do you feel about that, and sort of how do you work with and or against the sort of expectations of what you as a mom 
and a leader would have in your social media? Oh God. You know, I mean, I just feel like the whole idea of like, well, first of all, that, that kids will eat what you give them. Like it isn't true. It's not (laughs) true. Yes, that's correct. It's bullshit. A hundred percent. Some kids are awesome at that. And some kids aren't. My son, Dashiell eats white bread toast and that is it. And ice cream. And it's like the last, I mean, we go to the Japanese store to buy the white bread and it is really good. But, um, but he he like literally doesn't need anything else. And you know what? I'm like okay with that because sure, he's still alive. He's still alive. He's going <laughs> to be alive, alive for a long time. Very alive. And I I do cook. I cook on Sundays. And I think that it's it's what's in the air that becomes your the sense in the air that becomes your your what your pres- um, preferences are as you grow up or whatever. I mean, I love cabbage now, and I've loved it as an adult, but I would never have touched it as a kid. But because my grandmother was always cooking it, I crave it, oh, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just think that as long as that stuff is in the air or whatever, and I just don't I don't get precious about it all because you know what I can't get to the farmers market every Saturday. I mean, I can't, yep. and um, and that's just the reality of it and I think it's great that other people do but I do think that there's this idea that like that's what that's what being a mom is now like you really it's worse than it used to be about this idea of doing everything and being the superhero it's worse because you know your kids have to like I don't know you it's just this whole thing and it and and food is so central to that and I also don't fault anybody for doing it because good lord if you're doing that show it to the world yeah sure you know but I'll tell you what my other pet peeve is though because I thought about that question yeah and I don't know if I'm right about this but like I hate whole bean coffee i <laughs> i, I know. do I don't drink not coffee. i mean i always buy good coffee at our local coffee or whatever but i can't stand grinding it in the morning that is like the worst <laughs> and i i cannot tell the difference at all side by side and when people get all crazy about it to me i'm like really that is like that is like the, the i don't know how far in the house you have to go what the back room of that in a coffee nerd world is to like really be able to taste the difference between whether I ground it now or on Sunday. I, th- I think that that is an example, and this is a conversation I've had recently with some people, and this is not, I mean, you know, this is, it's not to say, you know, it's not to imply anything about you, Ellen, mm-hmm. but that being a parent, your life is so different from people who don't have children that like, for me, I agree with you about the coffee thing because you know what I need when I wake up in the morning? I need caffeine into my bloodstream as fast as possible. And I, I need an IV care. drip right now. I mean, if well, I could just drink straight I'm setting caffeine, up my coffee yeah. maker the like, night before, it, then it really doesn't matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, but like my husband will buy it because somebody said, I have to say. And then you got to listen to that sound in the morning. And of course I don't have like the bird or like, they're all loud. Yeah. Although at your house, Ellen, you had homemade coffee and you didn't have any kind of granite. So like I'm there like pounding with a mortar and pestle at I will do whatever it takes to get coffee. Oh, my God. Scrappy times. Absolutely. That's something that I I haven't quite grown an appreciation for, I suppose, yet. (laughs) I'm just looking in my notes, Ellen, for your pet peeve, because I think it's a fun fun question. Smelly fish and wobbly lettuce together. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things that used to get in humongous trouble at Providence for was wobbly lettuce. So chef would be checking the salads in the freaking hallway of the restaurant. Like it had left the pass. It was out almost on its way to the table. And if he found wobbly lettuce on the top of it, like it was just a little too wilty. Mm-mm. Thank your you. Your ass was mm-hmm. grass. And he would shove it back on your table and be like, what the fuck is this shit? And I'd be like, oh, my God. So it's been uh, ingrained into my skull. Do not do that. Uh, and I like it to be really crispy. You know, yeah. you need good lettuce. And then the other one was smelly fish. Yeah. Ugh, there's nothing I hate more than stinky fish. You like... <laughs> Good salmon should not stink. I grew up thinking that salmon stunk because I guess I always had really shitty salmon. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely very true for me. Right. Okay, but the whole 
bagged lettuce anything anyway. Like, yeah, it's that true. It like just... kills all sorts of shit by the time you eat it, right? The and chlorophyll like, like comes out different yeah. Yeah. color mm-hmm. than it is. It's not the good. worst. I mean, yeah. lettuce is tough, right? I mean, that's it, mm-hmm. it is so it, it's fleeting. I mean, of, of the, you know, of all of the vegetables that we like have been told we should be eating all the time, um, lettuce and like very, you know, fine greens like spinach, they don't last long. They just no, don't, they don't. They don't. Right. Poor guys. You're better but off having cabbage. Yeah. yeah. Or kale. So kale. But if you get them fresh, I mean, my, my, I was just at my cousin's farm in Illinois in the middle of like almost, I mean, we're almost at December and yeah. he has tons of lettuces growing right now. And like those will last several days. I mean, if you get really fresh lettuce, it does last. Of course. And it's, you know, it's almost like just get, but then, you know, also, you know, I have to say, I understand the safety thing too. And washing lettuce, washing produce is a, you know, you're not cooking the lettuce afterwards. So it's a tough, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's tough. Well, we're, we're pretty much out of time, but I wanted to make sure um, to give everybody sort of ways to reach the two of you in best Instagram, Twitter handles and websites. And also, um, you know, do you have another tour scheduled? Are you guys going to do Basically it Basically anybody. Oh, for our tour. Yeah. I thought you meant tour at the Apron Factory. Well, on that note, yeah. anybody that comes to LA can visit the Apron Factory at any time cool. from nine to five, Monday through Friday. And we give tours, ice cream hooks. It's awesome. Um, and then our next tour together will be at the end of April. And we're going to pick up where we last left off which was Birmingham, and continue on to another three states and then close out at the James Beard Awards. So that'll be very fun. Yes. Yeah. Taking it back to the road. I, we're excited. And that Midwest is my is my place. I'm originally from yeah. Illinois. So, yeah, I love the Midwest. So I'm Jenny Brittenbauer on um, Instagram. And um, I don't know. What else do we do? I'm Ellen, the apron lady on Instagram. And my website is www.headleyandbennett.com. And we're jennies.com, J-E-N-I-S. Yeah, come get uh-huh. aprons and, Jenny's and ice cream from us. Instagram. And seriously, direct message me. Email me. I'm very happy and open to help anyone and everyone because I think that we are all in this together. Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining me. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears this week. Uh, please drop us a review on whatever platform you choose to listen through. Big thank you to David Tatashore for engineering today. You can check out the other great shows on Heritage Radio Network and follow me on Instagram at the Foodballer. And I just have a quick note uh, from Heritage Radio Network. Feast Your Ears is brought to you by Heritage Radio Network, which is a member-supported nonprofit radio station devoted to all things food. We need your support here during our big end-of-year fundraiser. A contribution in any amount not only supports this show, but also the 33 other weekly programs. That's right, 34 shows a week are produced in this studio. Uh, And also comes with exclusive member benefits, and those include... Best of playlists, uh, really awesome swag. We've got these new potholders that you should check out, discounted event tickets, members-only parties. Um, So if you like good food and you love good food radio, please send us some money. Uh, And you can donate to HRN by going to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash donate. And no donation is too large. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please 
Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.